0: Hey, good morning, everybody. You know, before I get started, uh, I noticed that uh, one of the fruits, one of the good things that have been happening behind the scenes while we've all been at home has entered the room in the person of little Adelie over here. Why don't you you two stand her up and, and, well, hold her up. Why don't you stand up and let us, yeah. What a beauty. No good tree, Jesus said, no good tree bears bad fruit. Nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. Figs are not gathered from thorn bushes. Grapes aren't picked from a bramble bush. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, produces evil. Luke 6, 43 to 45. So let's say you're out walking in the country, late in the day, at the tail end of summer. And you happen upon a tree, crowning a hill. Its leaves are glistening In the setting, sun and big, round oranges hang from its branches. As you reach the top of the hill, feeling hot and thirsty, a little bit tired, you take one of these oranges and you pull it free and you just hold it in your hand for a moment, anticipating how it's going to taste when that first sparkle of citrus explodes in your mouth. But then as you hold it in your hand and you look down at the fruit, you realize that, well, it isn't actually orange at all. It's this sickly yellow color. And it's riddled with these black splotches all over it. As it falls from your fingers and thumps to the ground, you look up at the tree and you realize that the whole course of the thing is just riddled with this infected fruit. And so what do you conclude when you see that? Do you conclude that, The tree is good? Of course not. It has a fungus called greasy spot. That tree is infected. But then you keep walking, you move down from the hill into this rocky gully where this other tree with crooked branches, hardly any leaves, has somehow eked out an existence Not expecting much, you reach out for one of the oranges on this tree and you pluck it. You test its weight in your hand, and it's firm and heavy, and it has this warm, lava like color, the way an orange is supposed to have. And so you peel it, and then you pull it in half, and you pull one of those soft, plump crescents from it, and you pop it into your mouth. And it's everything that you want it to be, sweet and juicy, absolutely delicious. And you're surprised because of how that tree appeared when you walked up to it. So you, you take a step back and you look at the tree. What do you conclude? That the tree is bad? Absolutely not. You know the tree is good because of its fruit. Well, good morning again, friends. Welcome to the sixth installment in our summer series on the fruit of the Spirit, in which we examine today uh, the fruit of goodness, the fruit of goodness. So we've gone through love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and today we come to goodness, number six. That's the sixth fruit. And not just goodness considered in the abstract, like uh, the ideal of goodness, but the fruit of goodness. That's a different thing, the fruit of goodness, the produce of goodness in a lived human life. That's our object this morning. But before we go on... And maybe to lower your expectations for, uh, for my sermon, uh, I want to ask you, what if you were asked to preach a sermon on goodness? I mean, it's an awfully general word, isn't it? Goodness. It isn't like patience, which conjures up all of these sort of semi-humorous situations of somebody who's about to lose their temper that you can appeal to. Goodness, what is that? If you were to ask to preach on goodness, where would you even begin? Like What message? Do you think you'd want people to walk away from? The first thing I thought of was uh, from what is probably my all-time favorite movie, E.T. Has anybody seen E.T.? It's from the 80s. I'm that old. Yeah. So the end of the movie, E.T. has this alien reaching out with this glowing finger at this little boy, Elliot, saying, be good. Yeah. Be good. Is that the theme of my sermon today? Goodness. Goodness. Is there anything more than we, that, that we could say than just that? Well, you know what there is. And, uh, and this morning, we're going to learn about goodness by answering two questions, okay? First, we're going to answer the question of what is goodness? And then, second, we're going to answer the question of how do I get it? How do I get goodness? Okay? So first question, what is goodness? That itself is a paralyzing question, I think. And the reason it's a paralyzing question is because goodness is just like a fundamental term. It's a basic term. How, you, how do you describe a fundamental term in other words, right? Uh, because it's a word that just appeals to our judgment, our experience, because you just know goodness when you see it. You just know goodness when you see it, when you experience it, when you taste it. Goodness is good. Goodness is good. There's really no other word for it. But can we say more than that? Well, it turns out that we can. We can say more than that by asking where goodness comes from. And so I'm going to ask you, where does goodness come from? This isn't rhetorical. Say it back to me. Where does goodness come from? Oh, come on. You're more courageous than this. Where does goodness come from? From Heartfelt Heartfelt emotion from the heart. Where does it... How does it get into your heart? Ultimately, where does goodness come from? God. Thank you. I heard different versions of that answer. God. That's the ultimate source of goodness. We got there together. Way to go. Thank you. Goodness comes from God. Goodness is that quality of being that comes directly from God. That's what goodness is. It's the quality of being that comes directly from God. In fact, it's the most basic quality of God. It's the quality in which all of God's other qualities are sort of like forms of or faces of, right? Qualities like love, fruits like peace, joy, kindness. Goodness is the fundamental essence of the living God. That's what goodness is. It's the fundamental essence of the living God. You know, ever since I was a boy... If I had to sum up in a few words, like what my personal creed is, what I think Christianity is really all about, this is what I would say. That goodness is real, and that goodness is a person. Goodness is real, and goodness is a person. I remember as a kid going to visit the houses of my school friends, I remember walking into those homes and experiencing for the very first time these these other environments, these places where I hadn't grown up and so they were foreign to me, they were strange, and looking at what those houses were like, seeing what was hung on the wall, maybe with the dads, what kind of calendars the dads had hanging in their garages, how that family talked to each other, whether that family was all together or not, And I went through all of these different experiences in these homes. And you know what? Sometimes I could just feel it. This place is good. may have been different from my place where I was growing up, but I could feel that goodness was here. And then there were other places, other houses of friends that I visited where I didn't feel that. Where I found myself feeling like, oh, this is not a good place. Actually, this is a godless place. And it would be kind of like Abraham in the book of Genesis, where he's traveling through a land where it says that the Lord was not known. And he stops and he looks around and there's this line that Abraham says. He says, there is no fear of God in this place. There's no reverence. There's no regard for ultimate goodness in this place. There is no fear of God in this place. Because goodness is the fundamental essence of the living God. Think about what David says. Taste and see. That's a fundamental appeal to your experience. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Goodness is real, and goodness is a person. But you know what? There's an objection to this. It's a serious objection. And it's aimed at the very existence of goodness as a person. And it goes like this. Well, if there is a good God, then why do bad things happen? Why is there evil at all? You know what, I still remember the first time that this occurred to me. I was eating a peanut butter sandwich at my table, and it occurred to me well, if God is all good, and if God is all powerful, then how is it possible for evil to exist? It was like I discovered a crack in the nature of reality. If God is all good, well, then surely he would only want for good things to happen. And if God is all powerful, well, then surely he has the ability to ensure that only good things happen. So why is there evil? It seems like a contradiction. If God is all good and God is all powerful, then how is it possible for evil to exist? Why do bad things happen? And you know what? There's an answer to this question. And it is an absolutely irrefutable knockdown. Answer. But I can almost guarantee it's going to disappoint you when you hear it. You know what the answer is to that question? Of why a good and all powerful God would allow for evil? It's because He has a good reason. That's the answer to the question. It's because He has a good reason. Now we can go further and we can ask, you know, what is the reason? You know, what is his good reason? Well, and then you can get into very interesting conversations about uh, the nature of human will and choice and relationship with God and his desire from the very beginning to illustrate who he is by means of sending his son to redeem us. Come and talk to me about that. That'd be a fantastic conversation. But that's the bottom line reason. Because God has a good reason for even allowing the possibility of evil to exist he has an overriding good just like every parent right every loving parent who allows their child to go through something negative to experience something that is not good has an overriding reason that is good for allowing that child to experience that Sometimes we get to find out what that reason is in our life, right? We look back over the years, and we see, oh, that happened, and then that happened, and then this happened, and that's why I went through all of that back there. But then sometimes, like Job, who never found out, we don't get to see what that good reason was for the evil that we experienced and you know what? It is when we do not get to know the reason for the evil that we see in the world, the evil that we experience in our lives, it's when we don't get to know the reason for that, that it becomes most critical to be in relationship with Him who is good. So why do I say that? Why do I say it's when we don't get to know the reason, it's actually in that very moment that it's most important to be in relationship with God, with Him who is good. It's because it's easy to get jaded. It's easy, especially in our world today, when every second clip on the news or on Netflix is all about highlighting evil. You know, you can, you can almost forget that there even is such a thing as goodness with what we have going on in our world today and what we see focused and highlighted But you can't let yourself go there. You can't let yourself begin to think that all there is is really evil or that there is no ultimate good. That is the voice of the enemy. That's the voice of the enemy. And you know what? What's more? It doesn't even make sense. It doesn't even make sense. Because in order for there to even be evil, for evil to even be identified in the first place, there has to be this ultimate standard of good against which evil can be identified as such. Because all evil is, is the absence of good, where a good should exist. And so hate is evil because it's the absence of love. Covetousness is evil because it is the absence of the good of generosity and thankfulness. You see, evil is parasitic. It's a parasitic reality. It can't exist on its own. That whole category doesn't even make sense without there being an absolute good against which evil can be defined. So if you believe in evil, then by definition, you believe in good. You believe in absolute goodness. And yet when you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, you might feel so cut off from the good, like, yeah, you know, you know it's, it's somewhere up there <laughs> in Never Neverland, outside of this, this dark valley that you're inside of, above those black clouds, shining in some unreachable heaven, makes me think of Revelation 14.6. It speaks of this angel who's flying through the air. And he has this eternal gospel that he proclaims. And he says, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come when he will do away with all evil and goodness will be seen to prevail for eternity. But all of that is up there. It's above that wall of clouds. And so what do you do when, you, when you're below and you feel you have no access to that, to good, to that fundamental quality of the living God? And that brings us to our second question. How do I get it? How do I stay connected to it, to reach goodness? We've just heard what goodness is. It is the fundamental quality of the living God. But how do I reach it? How in the midst of all this darkness do I stay connected to that good which is real and is also a person? Goodness is real. Goodness is a person. Well, the answer has two parts, which are perfectly summarized in Romans 12.9. Do you guys know Romans 12.9? Romans 12.9 says this. It's so simple. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good. King James Version. I love the way the King James Version puts it. It's stronger. It says, abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Cleave as in like glue, cement, weld yourself to that which is good. The same way that Adam welded himself to his wife Eve, cleaved to her. Or here's another translation from the DRV. That's the Darren Redekop version. Reject what is bad. Embrace what is good. Reject what is bad. Embrace what is good. How do I reach it? How do I stay connected to what is good? Romans 12, 9. Reject what is bad. Hate what is evil. Embrace what is good. And again, maybe that's a little bit uh, anticlimactic. Like the answer to why... God allows for the possibility of evil, because it seems very common sense, right? It seems super common sense. Like, who would ever do the opposite? Who would embrace what is bad and reject what is good? Like those, those oranges from the two trees at, at the beginning. Who would reject the heavy, juicy, sweet orange, and then embrace that, that mottled, black, splotchy, sickly, yellow, orange. Who would do that? And yet that's exactly what we do. That's exactly what a person does every single time that he lies or she gossips or he overeats or lusts over some image. When we embrace what is evil, you eat that rotten orange. And you're like, "Why do I do that? Why does anybody do that? And it's because you've acquired a taste. You've acquired a taste. You've developed a desire. This is what it says in James chapter one, verse 15. Desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. Our desires explain our actions, are embracing what is evil, the embrace of what's bad. And Jesus warns us about this. He has this puzzling passage where he actually zeroes in on exactly this issue. He talks about what happens when our desires go rotten. And he talks about it in terms of the eye. He talks about it in terms of the eye. He says, Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy... That is, when your moral perception, your sense of good and evil, of right and wrong, when that's, hap- when that's working the way it's supposed to work, when your eye is healthy, then your whole body, your whole life will be full of light, full of goodness. But then, the opposite circumstance, when your eye, your moral perception goes bad, well, then your whole body is full of darkness. And so be careful, Jesus says, lest the light in you be darkness. So he's saying watch over your eyes. Watch over your conscience. Watch over your moral sense of right and wrong because that's not something that just stays constant that you can trust will continue to be intact. It can be corrupted. Watch over your tastes. Don't let them get away on you. You know, there's, a, there's a times in our lives when we have to put a leash on our desires, when we have to redirect our tastes, when we have to train our tastes, retrain them. I've had to do that. I've gone through a number of moments in my life when I've had to redirect my desires, when I've had to retrain my tastes. You know what, before I was a pastor... I was addicted, among other things, to smoking. And with God's help, I defeated that. I defeated those things. I've never gone back to them. Later on, for the sake of my health, I had to change my eating habits and discipline my tastes again retrain them and each time that happened it began with a kind of wake-up moment in my life this moment when i realized that i was actually embracing something that was bad for me whether it was smoking or a kind of food or habit of eating i may have been embracing either something bad or something good in a bad way to a bad degree and so what i had to do was develop a new taste i had to retrain my desires. You see, in order to change, in order to cultivate goodness in your life, you can't just reject something. You can't just reject an old and bad habit. You have to embrace a new and a good habit. And so when I quit smoking, I had to develop a taste for exercise. That's an acquired taste. When I changed my diet, I had to develop a taste for different kinds of food than I was used to eating. And you know what? The most recent of my taste modifications, and, and actually, I don't know, it might be the most surprising to me, it came just this past year. It started late last year when I started to watch Pure Flicks. Have you ever heard of Pure Flicks? It's like the Christian version of Netflix, okay? So it's like the subscription service that you can get online and and watch movies and TV shows. Uh, And you know what? It was such a shock to me because I like good movies. I like losing myself in the immersion of a good story. But I came to a place last year where it was like Abraham You know, I found myself in the land of Netflix and Amazon Prime saying there is no fear of God in this place. There is no love of goodness in these shows that are on these services. And I went through a kind of like almost a moral gag reflex with a rotten orange and I was like, I can't do this anymore. I just can't do it. I can't watch these modern day shows that are so full of evil. And so to start out, I started watching old stuff like the the series The Rifleman, which i mentioned before. Old movies like uh, Captain's Courageous, awesome movie. It's a Wonderful Life. Abishai and I really like that one. And in the midst of that pilgrimage, my wife, Renee, God bless her heart, she brought me to the land of pure flicks. She'd been there for a while, and I had rejected it. I had rejected it. I could never imagine acquiring a taste for being in the land of pure flicks because the production was so much less to me. Like the acting was not as good. The the soundtracks, the music, I love movie soundtracks. They were nowhere near as good. And she brought me in. And I began to acquire a taste for it. Because as I watched it, although the production was less, the acting was less, and the soundtracks were less than what I was used to in higher budget productions, man, there was something that PureFlix had that was just missing from the land of Netflix and Amazon Prime. Pure Flix had goodness. So you know what I did? I embraced it. I cleaved to the good. And you know what it did to me? It started to develop these new tastes inside me. It started to develop this taste for the story possibilities of the gospel. At first, I sort of made fun of it. We'd be watching like this Western, and I'd be like, hey, Renee, here's how this this show is going to end. It's going to end with uh, this bad cowboy saying the sinner's prayer. That's how this is going to end. Like, so predictable. And, uh, and that's exactly what happened. But then when it happened, I was like, whoa, this, like, it, it made me emotional. I was like, this is, I bet you this has actually happened. I bet you there actually have been, like, broken down cowboys who have come to the Lord. Of course it has. There's way less realistic things that happen in the land of Amazon Prime. And I just began to realize, man, I have been missing out on something here because I've been looking for something else. Okay, quick qualification. This isn't about becoming some kind of like a namby-pamby, goody-goody, whitewashed hypocrite who never reads secular books, who never listens to secular music, who never watches a secular show. That isn't what this is about. Because there can be good in those places. There can be good in those places. What this is about is what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.22. You know what he says? He says, test everything. Test everything. Testing what you watch. Testing what you listen to. Testing what you read. And then holding fast to the good. Testing and then holding fast to the good. Philippians 4, 8. I love this. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure. How often do you see pure things today? Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, you know what you should do when you encounter those sorts of things? You should think about them. You should intellectually embrace them. That's what this is saying. Hold fast to the good with your mind. And then it says, and then you should practice these things. You should embrace the good with your actions, with your life. And then something will happen, according to this passage. God will be with you. That's what it says in Philippians 4. God will be with you. Man, have you ever just stopped and said, like, if I only knew that God was with me, I would feel better about this situation. This tells you when God will be with you. It's as you embrace the good, which is the essence of the living God. So a couple questions to take with you before we finish up. Question number one. These are like the application questions, okay? So, question number one for you to ask yourself Where are your tastes, where are your desires leading you to evil? Okay? Where are your tastes leading you to a bad place, leading you to embrace the bad instead of the good? In the things that you watch, maybe? In your social media feeds, the, the things you follow? Things you look at, things you listen to, the video games you play. Where are your tastes leading you to embrace something evil? And then question number two, once you have the answer to that first question, where your tastes are leading you astray, the second question follows from it. The second question is, what good might you embrace Instead of that bad thing. Like how might you retrain your taste? Redirect your desires? What good might you embrace in place of that thing? Jesus said this mysterious thing once. He said this. He said, when an evil spirit leaves a person. It goes into the desert. Searching for rest. But when it finds none, it says, I will return to the person I came from. And so it returns, Jesus says, and finds that its former home, that person, is all swept and in order. And then the, per- the, the spirit finds seven other spirits, more evil than itself, and they all enter the person and live there. And then Jesus concludes by saying, and the last state of the person is worse than the first. And you know what he was saying there? He was speaking directly to our issue. He was saying that self-sanitation, self-improvement, it's not enough. It's not enough. You need something more. If all you do in your life is just go through and sweep your life clean of all the bad habits, you know, that state of life cleanliness, it's going to be temporary. Unless you do something more than reject the evil, then push out the bad, You've got to cleave to the good. You've got to weld yourself to the good. And the good is a person. In fact, it's Jesus himself. I talked in the beginning about how as a kid I would visit my friends' homes and and i just get this this sense of whether there was real goodness there, of, of whether these homes were good. Well, you know, there came a time as a boy... When I began to feel that actually something in my own home wasn't good. And you know when that happened? It was when we stopped going to church. I was just a kid, and I think it was because of my dad's work schedule or something like that. But things were getting dark in my household. I remember my parents were fighting more and more often, and I just felt it like something is off in our house, like a disease was growing in our orange tree. Something was in the root system, and I knew in my spirit what needed to be done, and so I just, I went to them. My two Christian parents, themselves raised by Christian parents, who had given me the resources to do what i did then i said you guys need to start taking us to church again i interrupted them in the middle of an argument and being the godly parents that they were they woke up and they started taking us to church again and once more our home became a place inhabited by goodness by god That's the beautiful thing about bringing him into your home, mom and dad. You know, when you bring God in, when you read the Bible to your kids, dads, it's your job to initiate that. Even if you're not good at reading, it's your job to initiate the prayer times in your families. Even if you're not good praying, you say, Honey, can you pray with us? When you bring God in, when you do those things, when you faithfully bring your family to church, you're going to have those extra little voices through which God can call you back. Kids, you have a place in your families to keep them on track. You know, all of us, no matter how young or how old we are, where we are in our lives, we have a duty to God. We have a duty to goodness. There's this line, It's the last passage I'll read for you. Second Chronicles. I love it. It says this. It says, the eyes of the Lord, it's almost like a spotlight. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. He's looking for that. If your heart is committed to him, he's looking for that. To strengthen you in that because goodness is real and goodness is a person let's bow our heads father god when i think about uh parenting and goodness i can't help but think of um, abigail adams the first lady to john adams the second president uh, what a christian example of motherhood she was How she carried this conviction that the whole duty of man is to be good and do good. To be good and do good. Lord, I think of your son, who was once described as just a guy who walked around doing good. I think about how he said that his food was to do good, was, was, was to do the will of him who sent him who said that uh, if anyone wants to do good, if anyone who want, wants to do your will, they will know if his teaching is true, if Jesus' teaching is true. But Father, it's one thing to know the good. It's another thing to embrace it. And so we ask you for help. Father God, we ask you to strengthen us to strengthen our hearts as we thrust our root systems down, not into diseased soil, not into diseased water, but into your word, into your presence in prayer. We pray you would make our trees good. Like your son, our Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.